Greetings, friends. I am Jacques Howard. Reading Martin Luther King Jr. Was Here Again by Reggie Taylor. Martin Luther King Jr. Was Here Again. You would occasionally overhear neighbors on my block proudly proclaim in passing during my elementary school years in the mid-1960s Baltimore, Maryland, that Reverend Dr. King had been reluctantly cited again in our community. King was an occasional visitor to our family pastor, Reverend Dr. Marion Curtis Bascom whom the Baltimore Sun newspaper described as a confidant of Martin Luther King Jr. Reverend Bascom pastored Douglas Memorial Community Church in historic West Baltimore, located at 1325 Madison Avenue. His family living quarters at the same address is an adjacent building, was three doors away from my family homestead at 1319 Madison Avenue. Within days of my birth, I was christened by Reverend Dr. Bascom, who also officiated my parents' wedding in the same large, ornate room where he would have received Reverend Dr. King. Dr. Bascom's stewardship of Douglas Memorial would extend 45 years from 1949 to 1995. He took the helm one year after he earned his Bachelor of Divinity degree from Howard University in 1948. During his tenure, he accumulated arrests for good trouble on behalf of the movement, exercising the same brand of fearless leadership locally that his friend, Dr. King, was becoming known for on the national stage. As a young child attending services under Reverend Bascom, one of the older kids in the congregation, 10 years my senior, and rumored to have had a big crush on the pastor's older daughter, Bernadette, was future Baltimore City State's attorney and Mayor Kurt L. Schmolk, currently the president of the University of Baltimore. Reverend Bascom's support for Schmoke was critical to his success elevation, successful elevation to City Hall in 1987. On July 4, 1963, eight weeks before the historic March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, where Dr. King gave his famous I Have a Dream speech, Dr. Bascom led a historic march in Baltimore County, Maryland, known as the Gwyn Oak Park demonstration, protesting the amusement park's whites-only Jim Crow policy prohibiting African-American families from enjoying that facility. Marion Bascom and his fellow marchers were unceremoniously arrested. This act of civil disobedience, good trouble, happened almost exactly one year before President Lyndon Baines Johnson signed the landmark Civil Rights Act on July 2nd, 1964, with Martin Luther King's constant urging and lobbying helping to drive the process. Dr. Bascom marched with Dr. King in Birmingham, Alabama, led marches in Annapolis, Maryland, 
and attended the August 1963 March on Washington, about which he proclaimed it was electrifying. Bascom went on to say, King was putting into intellectual focus the highest and the noblest of the American tradition, and in that he was also pulling together the accumulated hopes and dreams of every civilized people. An interesting historic sidebar, described as Team Trump's command center, the Willard Hotel on Capitol Hill was the scene of the crime for the January 6 coup plotters who for weeks were planning the insurrection intended to foment democracy's demise. On the night prior to the August 28, 1963 march on Washington, Martin Luther King Jr. spent the night at the Willard Hotel putting the finishing touches on his I Have a Dream speech to encourage democracy's rise. Miriam Bascom once remarked that whenever Martin Luther King came to Baltimore, he engendered a tremendous following. The two men's personal relationship was such that Bascom referred to King privately by his nickname, Mike. The Reverend described the swirling public fervor unleashed whenever Dr. King was visiting this way. Everyone wanted a piece of him. The Bascoms observed an open-door policy toward my family within their home. Reverend Bascom's very lovely wife, Lutherine, was an exceptional music school teacher and a quintessential neighborhood den mother revered in African-American folklore. She was everybody's mom, lovingly stepping in as anybody's mom back in the day. The mom who would respectfully but firmly discipline you, then tell your parents. Mrs. Lutherine Juanita Martin Bascom Colho died November 27, 2023, at 94 years old. The Reverend Bascom and their four kids were genuine extended family. As recently as these last 24 months, I've had contact with them, the three surviving siblings. Marion Jr. died prematurely as a very young man. Elder sister Bernadette is an Emmy Award-winning singer-slash-performer and adjunct college music professor. Younger son, Peter, whom I credit with schooling me on the nuances of the game of football as a young kid, was an accomplished yachtsman who died in July 2022 after a brief illness. And Singleton, a seasoned criminal justice professional in municipal government. During the years when Dr. King visited the Bascoms, I have never personally witnessed his encounters in their home. Moreover, our neighborhood was a magnet for national dignitaries, so Dr. King's visit had a shelf life. During Martin Luther King's visit to Baltimore on October 31, 1964, less than six weeks before he would accept the Nobel Peace Prize, King huddled with local dignitaries and activists to discuss politics. Essentially, Dr. King was visiting Baltimore on a political campaign mission as an emissary of the Democratic presidential candidate, former Vice President 
Lyndon Baines Johnson. LBJ was running for a full term after inheriting the presidency 11 months earlier, the day President John F. Kennedy was tragically assassinated November 22, 1963, in Dallas, Texas. The venue where King convened an overflow assembly of more than 1,500 on Halloween Day, 1964, was the most worshipful Prince Hall Grand Mason's Lodge at 1307 Utah Place, a one-block walk west from Reverend Bascom's church. Among the assembled was the then-current mayor of Baltimore and former governor of Maryland, Republican Theodore Roosevelt McClendon, who also addressed the gathering. Since October 31, 1964 was a Saturday, I would not have been in my kindergarten class four blocks away at Henry Highland Garnet Elementary School, where my fellow alum, former Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall, had attended. The school, PS 103, located at 1315 Division Street, was four blocks west of my home and three blocks south of Justice Marshall's home at 1632 Division Street. Other prestigious visitors who might often pass through our neighborhood were likely associates of a very prominent resident whose backyard faced Reverend Bascom's backyard, civil rights icon Lily Carroll Jackson, and her very distinguished family members. If you didn't already know, Miss Jackson ascribed the honorable title of Mother of the Civil Rights Movement was a pioneering activist who organized the Baltimore branch of the NAACP. Dr. Lilly, also affectionately known as Ma Jackson, was an acolyte of MLK who successfully leveraged nonviolent civil disobedience tactics to win civil rights victories. Her husband, Clarence Mitchell Jr. was founder of the Washington, D.C. NAACP branch and the organization's chief Washington lobbyist from 1950 to 1978. Legend has it that the Ku Klux Klan menaced Mr. Mitchell's family by encircling his home in a 1961 incident. Borrowing a tactic employed by racist Southern sheriffs, it is reported that Mitchell used his garden hose to repel and disperse the terrorists. Madam Jackson's daughter, Juanita, was the first licensed African-American female lawyer in Maryland history. Her brother-in-law, Perrin Mitchell, was the first African-American voted into the United States Congress from Maryland's 7th District in West Baltimore. Among Ma Jackson's four grandchildren, one, of, one was a prominent doctor, two were state senators, one of whom was also a lawyer and a Baltimore City Councilman. The fourth grandchild was a builder and real estate entrepreneur. Her former home, one block east of my childhood home, became the Lily Carroll Jackson Civil Rights Museum, which opened in 1978 and was the first privately owned museum honoring a black woman in Baltimore City's history.
It's not surprising that with so many civil rights celebrities regularly in and around our hood, you would hear whispered among anecdotes concerning them, particularly regarding King's visits among family members, friends, and neighbors in grocery stores, churches, beauty and barbershops, and the like, most of which I've retained few details over the years. The one experience involving Peter Bascom, four years my senior, that I vividly recall for the implicit deadpan humor associated with it was Peter's description of his first encounter with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. An avid lacrosse enthusiast who played for his, his school's team among several sports he excelled at, Peter could be frequently found in his home's driveway, practicing in the presence of his captive audience of one, the family's bewildered German shepherd, Heinrich, whose weary eyes followed Peter's lacrosse ball back and forth for long minutes. On one of those occasions, Peter described to me how Reverend Bascom called to him from his den overlooking the driveway and invited him to come to meet his guest. Peter! I would like you to meet my dear friend, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., his dad beamed. Peter, perhaps 10 or 11 years old, very respectfully greeted Dr. King with a nod and a handshake, never relinquishing his lacrosse stick from his other hand, which he continued to gently twirl. After several awkward moments of silence, Peter politely asked his father, Can I go now? The values I inherited ostensibly through osmosis under the tutelage of Dr. King's colleague, Reverend Bascom, whose doctrine mirrored that of King's in many respects, motivated me toward a career in the humanities and service in whatever capacity I might be helpful to anyone, anywhere. It was, it is amazing the way the human psyche, particularly children's, naturally absorb teachings. Until I was questioned by the sternly religious grandmother of a high school romantic interest about my religious and moral background, beyond what my parents may have imparted, I had never thought about the ramifications of Dr. Bascom's weekly proselytizing, which because of our family's close social and physical proximity to the reverend, me and my siblings were expected to sit at or near front and center every Sunday morning to hear his sermons. Besides, I had stopped attending church regularly nearly a decade earlier as I approached manhood, i.e. puberty. At the same time, although MLK was taken from us 55 years ago, we are still so inspired by the powerful pronouncements he delivered that we have imbued as in many cases before Dr. Bascom, that our moral compasses still sway from those deeply held youthful lessons. The apparent power of those visceral impressions of King's dream, instilled in us throughout our upbringing, for which he was mortally sacrificed, are living vestiges of his philosophy and evidence that he has not died in vain. As a journalist, I have committed myself to research, investigate, examine, interview, 
chronicle, and communicate the circumstances, policies, and people that inform our contemporaneous history to remain free in perpetuity, in perpetu- in perpetuity, excuse me. The offspring of former slaves must always remain well-informed and vigilant. The truth sets us free. What will your contribution to furthering Dr. King's legacy be? Speak out publicly. Reach out to publications to share your thoughts on how we might be able to further lift everybody up. Let's have a wider solutions-oriented meeting of minds to protect our collective interests. Make good trouble. It is a well-known fact that Dr. King's demise happened at the Lorraine Motel. It is a little-known fact that Reverend King was scheduled to visit Baltimore in late March 1968, but traveled to Memphis, Tennessee to support the striking garbage workers, where he was assassinated days later on April 4, 1968. Reverend Bascom retired in 1995 and passed away from this life at age 87 on May 17, 2012. Another obscure historical wrinkle that further connects the dots between Dr. King and Dr. Bascom's legacies is the current Democratic U.S. Senator from Georgia, Raphael Gamaliel Warnock. Reverend Warnock became the pastor of Douglas Memorial Community Church in 2001, six years after Reverend Bascom's retirement, and served until 2005. That same year, Warnock was appointed senior pastor of Atlanta's Ebenezer Baptist Church, Martin Luther King's former pulpit, where he continues to serve today. I could never have imagined that in 2018, exactly 50 years and 11 days after MLK's murder, serendipity would bring together Dr. King's son, Martin III, and my son, Reginald Jordan Taylor, in Baltimore, completing a cycle in the long, transcendent arc of history that Martin Luther King Jr. has reminded us bends towards justice. Happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day. This is an article that was written by Reggie Taylor, entitled, Martin Luther King Jr. Was Here. Martin Luther King Jr. was here again. I am Jacques Howard. Remember, it's always about justice, peace, and humility.